going to continue in our series uh, this morning on fathers, specifically on restoring fathers, because uh, I've got an excitement about seeing men raised into the place even from a very young age. Now listen to me, I'm not talking about biological fatherhood. There's relatively nothing predicated with biological fatherhood that that man would actually engage in biblical fatherhood for what God has not only called and required, but purposed his life to do. And I said last week, I said, um, many people in their 40s, the absence of purpose, of of God's fullness of purpose. I'm not talking about finding purpose, but you know what? You know what fathers do, men do uh, around their 40s is they start to realize that the productive portion of their life predominantly is about 50% done. And what have I achieved? What have I become? What am I becoming? Where am I at? They begin to, we begin to evaluate, right? Some of you aren't there yet, but we can begin to evaluate and we begin to strategize and we begin to think about uh, not just our life, but our lifetime. We begin to think about legacy. We begin to think about what we're leaving. We begin to think about, and we begin to, we begin to sometimes try to find purpose for our lives. But I want to say this to you one more time. Biblical fatherhood combats midlife crisis because the reason why there's a midlife crisis is because there's a midlife lack of purpose and if we have a midlife purpose if we understand that the greatest purpose for man is found in biblical fathering then we understand there's not a greater purpose than we're going to find but the place that we're at with those around us and I'm not I'm not speaking to you uh, men just about your children and you're not absolved from these messages right if you don't have children or if your children are fully grown because the scripture uh, teaches us and I believe it's in first Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15 and Paul says though you have 10,000 guardians you still have not many fathers and he was speaking not about not about biological seed givers but about biblical supernatural seed givers, meaning that there are, uh, there's a buzzword in our culture today still, it's the word mentors, meaning that there are children around us all the way around that need to be mentored. This is why some of my, some of my favorite people to be around fit into the category which may not fully relate in some people's mind, but the category of people that understand why they're fathers, people that understand why they're pastors, and people that understand why they're coaches. Because those, that group of people is essentially doing the same thing. They are producing identity, they are protecting, and they are providing for a generation that follows them. And the best way that we can possibly do that is through biblical fatherhood. And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Then the Lord, the Lord God took the man 
and put him in the Garden of Eden. He took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. We're just gonna we're gonna start this way for the next several weeks because we're gonna keep we're gonna keep teaching from the same place into it into a different piece of biblical fatherhood because I believe this this morning. I don't believe fathers are the answer. I believe Jesus is the answer, but I believe Jesus wants to work through fathers. I said, I don't, somebody was listening to this podcast and they told me, I don't see dads as the problem. I see, I see God working through fathers as the solution. You say, preacher, does that mean that God doesn't want to work through moms? No, 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 no. Absolutely. He wants to work through moms. But if we look at biblical covering in the scripture, the power of God, the presence of God, the miracles of God, the blessing of God, the provision of God, they all flow down through structure like anointing. And he set things into place for a specific purpose. I just want to address this this morning. If you were to, this isn't in my notes, but if you were to look at Ephesians 5 this morning, if you were to look at Ephesians 5 and he, and he was talking about how a husband uh, should care for his wife and cover her over and love her and how a wife should should love and it says submit right and we don't even like that word anymore because we remove it from a lot of even marriage covenantal vows right because I'm not going to submit to you and you're not going to submit to me but somehow we're going to try to submit to God but the word submit literally means to come underneath because God designed, if you want to argue with somebody, you can try to argue with me. My email is pastorandyshaver at gmail.com. You can try to argue with me, but I'm just teaching you what the Bible says. So if you don't like it, you could try to argue with the Lord in prayer too. He'll make it clear to your heart. I'm not joking. I'm serious. And so there's a, just as there is in the church, there's an order to the way God establishes things. And he says that the, that the, that the, that, the, that the most um, precious things, that the most vulnerable things, that the most, um, the most beautiful things, would, that we would need to give the most protection and the most value to them. And so God said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them down here underneath this covering. Because down here underneath covering, that's why he set pastors uh, uh, and apostles and and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers over churches, right? He gave a fivefold ministry as covering over churches because they would know how to be underneath him, right? And his covering and his blessing and provision and favor would flow onto that. And I'm just telling you, it always flows down onto what's underneath of it. So this isn't just a message to this isn't just a message to men even though it's restoring fathers this is a message to this church and it's a message to our culture that says if we could if we could understand that women aren't devalued when men are put into the place that God values them at that that it's not a pie right there was a movement, and it still exists today, feminism. And they said, we've undervalued females and women and girls. And I agree with that. 
But what I don't agree with is they said, we're going to have to take value from the man in order to even out the value that they're supposed to be in our culture. And what you got was two groups of people, both sexes, still undervalued from where they're supposed to be at. Because they were never, God never created for you to go to your husband to get value. He created you to go to God to get value. And He never created you to go to your wife to get value. He created you to go through Christ to the Father to get your value. And so when we see, when we see what's happening in our culture and we see in this season that you can watch commercials on TV and, and men are being attacked in our culture today. And church leaders are being attacked in our culture today. And political leaders, doesn't matter whether they're blue or they're red or they're some other color, are being attacked in our culture today. Why? Because the enemy, Satan, knows that if he can attack, if he can attack the leadership of something, he can affect everything else underneath of it. And that's why when the Holy Spirit began speaking to me and I began studying, I just knew that we had to restore fathers. But we're not restoring a generation to something that they've ever been. We're restoring a generation of fathers to a place that they've never been. Malachi chapter 4, it says that He will send an Elijah and an Elijah will come and He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And it's speaking about a a generational reconciliation, a generational healing. And I believe that generationally, as well as in other ways, our culture has become more divided than it's ever been before. That our culture devalues from one generation to the other. The young devaluing the old because they're old. The old devaluing the young because they're young, right? And, 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 and God says, I'm going to move in such a way in the last days that I'm going to turn the hearts of the father to the children and then the hearts of the children are going to be turned to the fathers. That says something to me. The key is the fathers. The key is the fathers. I believe that there's a generation that's coming that's going to be the greatest revival that the face of the world has ever seen. And some of the young people in this room are going to be a part of it. But it's not a, it's not a revival that's just for that generation. In fact, that revival begins when fathers begin turning their hearts to children. And it's not just speaking about your children, right? I have five children. When you're a father, you just know how to act like a father, right? I relate to people like a father, and God wants to cultivate that in you. It says in Genesis 2, 15, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Tend and keep, tend and keep. I want you to think two different words. I gave them to you last week. I'm going to keep giving them to you. Uh, I think it's probably a better translation of this. Cultivate and guard. Cultivate and guard. And I gave you three points last week, and we're going to dial in strong on one of them this week. I said that within cultivating and guarding, the responsibility, the, the place that God has given to fathers and given to men is, is, is this threefold purpose of protecting, promoting, and providing. Protect, promote, provide. If they're not written down, you should write them down somewhere. Protect, promote, provide. And I want to speak to you about protectors for just a few moments this morning, protectors. When I think of protectors, I think of shepherds. 
When I think of protectors, I think of a, a, a shepherd's job is to keep the sheep. You see that in the Bible, right? A farmer's job is to tend the, the crops and they will protect them. And, and uh, this winter or spring we'll see probably again because the weather's so crazy, uh, farmers starting small fires in their orchards down in the south because fruit will have come and it will be on the trees. The blossoms at least will be there and they'll need to protect it from freezing and so they'll stay up all night tending these fires. But when I think about tending and protecting, I, I think about shepherds from the Bible. The scripture says, uh, uh, Jesus claimed to be the, the good shepherd, and he is. I want to tell you, there is no good shepherd besides Jesus, the shepherd. You can trust him with your heart. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your future. Don't ever trust another person more than you trust Jesus. Don't ever, God has never called you to trust a boss or a husband or a wife or a child or a loved one more than he's called you to trust Jesus. Trust Jesus, he'll never let you down. But when we look at the example of Jesus, right, and we, and we look at shepherds, what would they do? Would they just, uh, would they just take a flock and like let them loose and, and wonder where they were? No, no, we see several examples in the scripture one comes to mind where Jesus said that he was the good shepherd and he would leave the 99 to go after the one. So a shepherd is someone who has an account for the things that he's watching, right? If we had to give an account as fathers for what we're responsible for today before the ultimate father, I'm, would we, would we, what would the account be? Would we say, well, there's this and there's this and there's this and it's in order? No, he said, he said, first of all, my heart is not to just say that if you've left, you're gone. My heart's to go after you. And so there's a there's the heart of the father that pursues, right? Within protection, there's a heart of a father that pursues. It's not like, hey, you left. The, what I'm saying is the heart of the father is after prodigals. So if the heart of the father is after prodigals, it means those that have left, those that went away. If you want to see what a prodigal is, go home, read Luke 15. You read Luke 15, there's one that went away, right? He'd received his inheritance. He was the younger brother. He'd went away. He'd squandered it all. He said, if I could just come back to my father's house and be a servant, be a slave, uh, I'd be better off than I am now. So he went. But the Bible says that while he was still a long way off, the father was looking for him. Why? Because the father never stopped looking for him. Because the father's heart is a father that pursues as part of protection. And so if we're going to protect, we have to understand pursuit. We have to understand that it doesn't always feel like people want to be fathered. We have to understand that in our culture today, that there isn't always people around us that think that they need a dad. You know what? There are broken homes today. Statistics say that in Eaton County today, 40% of the homes don't have a father that lives in them. 40% of the homes with children does not have a father that lives with them. That's a uh, a, a 2019 statistic. And so that means 40% of the homes don't have a father physically present. But let's be honest, probably another 30 for, or 40% of the homes have a dad that's physically present, but emotionally and spiritually and relationally disengaged from what's happening in the home. 
And that's why psychologists and sociologists say that this is a fatherless generation. Because it's the first time in our, in our American culture where fathers have been present but are disengaged from what's happening in their homes and in the culture. I'm just telling you, we need fathers to be raised up, but we have to, we have to understand pursuit. God's wanting us to pursue. Then we have to understand a different principle that Jesus was talking about because what did Jesus say? He said, I am the gate. He was talking about shepherds, and I want you to envision a pen, right? The shepherds would build a pen because they knew that there needed to be a place where they could go. I want you to just envision in your mind a, a pen for a minute, a, a pen, an animal pen, right? It, it has walls, some sort of walls. They would build them out of rocks. They would build them um, with some trees interwoven into them. There would sometimes be hedgerows of, of dense shrubbery or bushes, but there would be a border right a boundary around where they would place the sheep into to protect them and Jesus said I am the gate and so if he's the gate then who builds the pen if he's the gate then who's establishing these boundaries well he's established these boundaries because you can grab a hold of your bible and you can you can look from genesis to revelation and you can see principles that God is calling us to live by but we live in a pretty boundless society. We live in a pretty boundless society where there's not really a lot of boundaries anymore. Do you believe that? Like society doesn't like boundaries. Like culture takes pleasure in destroying boundaries. And some of the boundaries were great to destroy. Some of the boundaries like racism were great to destroy, right? Because they were never supposed to be there. But there's boundaries around marriage and it being between a man and a woman. There's boundaries around life, conception until God's completion with us here uh, on this earth, eternal life, right? Because I believe that we need to be born again and follow after him. But there's boundaries that God's consistently and constantly speaking into things through his word. But the problem is, is that when a generation is being raised without boundaries and there's no one in there placing the boundaries, then there's no gate. Because if you don't have walls, there can't be a gate. Somebody say amen. If you have a gate, it's just like a novelty if there's no walls, right? If it doesn't contain anything. And, and, and boundaries aren't bad things when they were established by God. I said boundaries aren't, aren't, aren't evil. They're not wrong when they're established by God. In fact, boundaries are intended for protection and blessing. And when God has called us to protect, we have to, we have to understand that if He is the gate, then what are the walls? Because I believe that we are called to be watchmen of the walls. That we are called to be stewards of the boundaries and the walls that God has given us from the Scripture. I'm not just talking about things that we were raised with because I'm speaking to a culture. I'm speaking to the church and I'm saying we haven't been raised with all the boundaries we were supposed to be raised with. Because many times, legalistic boundaries were placed in us. Right? We don't need boundaries that, that, just, that just try to keep us 
from evil, but we need boundaries and pathways that lead us to the Father. Because this isn't, a life of following Jesus isn't trying to stay pure and holy enough that we can make it to heaven. A a lifestyle of following Jesus is about having a relationship of intimacy with Him where we can know the Father. If we can know the Father, the intimacy that we have with Him, the things that we needed to deal with, right, that were external or internal or sin in our hearts or habits of brokenness in our lives, they fall off the closer we get to Jesus. And so what we need is boundaries. We need this. We need these walls. And what are the walls? They're truth, their identity, their choice, and their integrity. It's four walls. Their truth, their identity, right? They are choice and integrity. They're, they're four walls all the way around. They're truth, right? Because the, the foundation, listen to me, of our culture has to be truth. The foundation of your home has to be truth. The foundation of what you're believing and what you're doing and the, your cultural worldview, it has to be based on truth. And there is no truth without the light of God and the Word of God. Because the Scripture says about itself that without it there is darkness and that without it there is no truth. And so we have to understand that the Bible has to become the fundamental foundation of of the walls that we're building in our homes. Secondly, identity. I'm going to talk about this a lot more next week, so I'm just going to hit it very quickly this morning. But do you realize that fathers are the primary identity giver in a home. And mothers are the primary nurturer of that identity. Think of it this way in the natural. A man gives a woman a seed and she can grow it, right? Because she's been given, moms, you've been given a capacity to do what no one else can do. They can take a seed, you can take a seed and you can grow it into a fullness. And fathers, in this union, right? In this, but in the culture, give a seed, and then it can be nurtured. You know the problem in our culture today is that we don't have fathers that know that they are identity givers. And so we're full of nurturers, but they're not nurturing the seed of the Heavenly Father. Until something is given to nurture, we will just nurture flesh. Until something of the Spirit is given to nurture, until there's a supernatural identity that's released, the greatest capacity that we have to be is a good person in the eyes of the world. And the Scripture says there's no one good but God. Does that make sense? And so what I'm saying is there's boundaries of identity that are built Because every time we run into something that we're not, we know that's not who we are only because we know who we are. Are you listening to me? And so if a generation can know who they are, there's a lot of boundaries that are established automatically because if they are these things, then obviously they're not these things. Does that make sense? And then there's There's choice. There's choice. You say, well, that kind of gets gray. No, no, no. God's given us choice. 
He's given us the capacity for choice because he's given us uh, an opportunity to follow after him and bring glory to him or follow after our desires trying to bring glory to us. But the scripture says in the end, those ways lead to death. And so there's choice and there are boundaries of choice, but that choice comes first from the father's. Listen to me. I want to see if you can track with me on this. I will sit with my kids and I'll say, listen, there are some things I would never choose for you. There are some relationships I would never choose for you. This is what they look like. There are some things in your future I would never choose for you. Some of them you will have to, you will make a choice and it won't be the right choice and you'll go through them some things and God will use those circumstances but just as your father there are some things that I would never choose for you and that comes out of my mouth and the the problem in our culture today with many fathers is I'm not talking about their personality I'm talking about their willingness to get outside of themselves and use their voice to establish identity and to articulate choice over their children. And then fourth is integrity. And if you don't have integrity, you can't operate in the other three. If you don't have integrity, it doesn't matter what your choice is. I didn't say you can't make mistakes. I'm talking about you have to own up the mistakes. If those that are under us are covering, don't see us walking with integrity in every way every day and when there's brokenness we fix it that's integrity if they see us walking integrity we we have established the final wall that god wants us to establish and it reminds me of joshua 24 15. it reminds me this 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 idea of protection reminds me of joshua 24 15. he says he says, uh, you need to choose for yourself this day, but as for me and my house, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord, right? He's making boundaries. He's like, we're not, we're not going anywhere else. We're not doing these other things. It means a lot of things. If I'm saying to you today, me and my house are going to serve the Lord. And I believe that we need fathers that are going to have a Joshua type of attitude that are going to say, independent from what you choose. You know what we like to choose? We like to choose what's easy. You know, as leaders, you know what we like to choose? We like to choose what the loudest voice is squeaking in our ear. It, it, can, be, it, could, it can even be in our family. You know what we like to choose? Oh, this, you know what? We're, we're all tired. Let's just stay home. I know it's Sunday, but you know, uh, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I believe God's calling us to make a choice this morning. And so I want to end in one more place this morning. I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel 23. I want to talk to you about the, the courageous power that God wants men to walk in. And I want to tie this together into protection and protectors this morning. 2 Samuel 23. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And then the people fled from the Philistines 
but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. It says that they were in the middle of a field of lentils, but it was the bean field that was the king's bean field, and they were gathered there in this bean field, right? And there was a whole bunch of them. And then the Philistines, that are their enemies, are coming to attack them. And the Philistines had a reputation of being some pretty crazy warriors. Somebody say amen. And so the Philistines are coming and everybody else is fleeing. But Shammah positions himself, is what the scripture says, in the center of the bean field. Now there's a few things that I want you to understand that that field represents. Number one, I want to say... That, the, that that field represents harvest, right? It was something that was the king's, and he was one of the king's mighty men. But there was something, he didn't become mighty, and you don't become mighty just because someone says you're mighty, right? If the king says you're mighty, you have a seed of value in being mighty, but it doesn't happen until you step into the middle of the field that everybody else is fleeing protect the harvest that's the king's harvest and I believe God's called us to be protectors of harvest right I believe God has called us and sort of an agricultural thought process to protect the harvest that's in our homes to protect the harvest that's in our culture you know the place where I believe the greatest harvest is in this generation of young people that deserves an amen if you don't believe it, I guess you can't do it. But I'm telling you, and in, in, in our children and in our children's children, I believe God is doing something, right? And it's not that we're too messed up or far gone to experience it. It's that God's moving in a way that he's called us to jump first and to bring them into it, right? He's called us to sacrifice. He's calling us to defend. I'm telling you, there. you say, how, how do you, why do you think these things? Because I don't see them. Well, I I think these things because I see the same things that you do, but I see them in a different way. If the enemy is going to attack this generation and the way that he attacks this generation and their identity, where they're not sure, some of them, whether they're male or whether they're female, where they're not confident, sure about their sexuality, where they're where they don't really have a confidence in themselves at the workplace, where the enemy is attacking their minds with things like pornography and trying to defeat their minds and their bodies with things like drugs and alcohol and vaping. And they're at such a level that they make it look like a like the church nursery. <laughs> when I was in school compared to the way things are now. And the enemy is attacking because the enemy sees purpose there. The enemy is attacking because he knows God has a plan for there. And so this is what I want to say to fathers. You've got to get a hold of your identity. The Bible says that this, was, that, that this man's name was Shammah, the son of Agi. Agi was his dad's name. And Agi literally means one who flees. So here's this guy who comes from a family that's known for being wimps, right? He comes from a family that's known for fleeing. In fact, probably generation. So here's this, here's this guy whose name's Shammah of the people who flee. And God spoke something different through King David over his life and said, No, you're a mighty man. But the rubber meets the road, not in the road, but in the bean field. 
Because why? Because Satan is actively taking ground. Today, Satan's actively taking ground. Their enemy was actively taking ground. They were coming and they watched them coming. And then Shammah watched everyone else leave. But he said, no, not me. In fact, this is the very center of where God has for me to be. And he's given this. This is the king's bean field. They don't have a right to it. And because, because the king has said I am mighty. I'm choosing to be mighty, even though everyone before me flees. And and in our culture today, listen to me, Satan is actively taking ground. And at the same time, too many people are passive and they're just giving up ground. They're like, oh, we've got other bean fields. We're just going to go to this bean field over here where they can't see us. And it's happening. It's happening in homes, right? It's happening in homes. And, and I know that this was put into to dads especially because I'll be around dads when they're young and God's put a conquering, protecting spirit inside of them. I, I believe that passivity is the biggest thing that has to be dealt with in men in our culture is passivity. There's a passive nature that's in our culture that gets on men and they just become wimps. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not talking about going getting a thousand tattoos and wearing, you know, riding Harleys around or whatever. That's what you need to do. Do it. But I'm talking about God doing something on the inside where you're like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to tolerate that in my family. Satan, I'm not talking about from a person. The scripture says that the, the, the battle that we wage is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and things in the unseen realm, right? So... I'm not battling against a spouse or a child, right? I'm not battling against even drugs or alcohol. I'm not battling against homosexuality. I'm, not, I'm battling against the spirits that are behind these. And the spirit that's in me, the scripture says, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. So I've been given a conquering spirit that says, uh, no, no, not in my home. No. Oh, no. No, no, not in my church. No way. That's not happening in the church I lead. No, no. Oh, okay. No way. Not in this community. That's not happening in this community as long as I'm in this community. You say, well, that makes you sound really arrogant. No, it's not arrogance. It's confidence. And I'm confident that when that when shamas step into the middle of bean fields, even though they've been trained to flee, that if they'll stand there, even though they're the only one left, that God will give a great victory there that day. Because I'm confident that God is not looking for just the best men, but that he's put mightiness into every man, that they would be able to take the center of a field and they would say, not in this field, the enemy's not taking this field. This field is God's field. We're going to see God's faithfulness in this home. We're going to see God's faithfulness in this city. We're going to see God's faithfulness in this region. And so I'm just believing that God is wanting to do something in us. But our identity has to change. And we have to realize that harvest is worth fighting for. That harvest is worth fighting for. Because somebody comes in and steals our lunch money and then we just wait till tomorrow when we get more lunch money. We're like, man, I hope they don't take it again. No, no, no. You're not taking this lunch money. My dad gave me this lunch money. If you're going to take this lunch money, you're going to have to walk into this field. I don't think you want to walk into this field. Right? Because he gave me this field too. 
You come on this field, you come on my field. This is home turf. No, it's an attitude change. It's a shift. He's put it into the men. He's put it in the men that they would become protectors. And so this is what I want to say to you. Three words right now. Standing. Because he was standing in the middle of a field. What are you standing for today? Men, specifically, what are you standing for today? No, no, no. Let's make it a little bit harder, though. Not what do you say you're standing for, but if you interviewed people that are around you, not this morning, but people that are around you in your life, what would they say you stand for? What are you standing for? Because sometimes we need to shift what we're standing for. It, we're, sometimes we're standing for things that don't matter. Staying, he stayed. What are you standing for? What are you staying for? What gets your time? What gets your time right now? Now don't talk about the don't talk about the next season. Well, the next season, well, I'm working extra because I want to do this, and then I want to be more present for my kids, and then I want to do these things, and then I want to invest in these other kids, and then I want to coach this, or then I want to join with this, or I want to no no. What are you doing right now with your time? What gets your time? Because timing is everything. And the best timing for what God is calling you to do is now. The best timing for what God is calling you to do is now. It's not when your kids are older. It's now. It's not, it's not, it's not when your kids get more mature. It's now, right? It's not, you're not exempt from anything that God is calling you to do. It's now. What are you standing for? What are you staying for? And what are you defending? What are you defending? Isaiah 59, 19. You know what are most of us defending? Most of us are defending the warped form of masculinity that we feel like we're carrying today. That's what most of us are defending because guys are defensive. We're defensive about things, but we're not really defending what we're supposed to be defending. And it's not that the gate's been left open. It's that there's no walls. And Isaiah 59, 19 says that though the enemy comes in like a flood, God himself will raise up a glorious standard. And I thought about 2005, New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina. Everybody knows about it, right? The, the hurricane's coming and things are supposed to be right. Things are post, supposed to be safe. Army Corps of Engineers, 90% done with, the, with these floodgates and with this levee system to keep the water out because new, parts of New Orleans are actually below sea level. The water's coming and it's coming at the worst time because it's high tide. And this storm, this flood, this raging flood comes raging at these sea walls and these flood walls and these levees and all of a sudden what was unmovable is being moved by this force God is defender you know what I know I know I can be standing in the middle of a field by myself everything looks like it's stacked against me but I know that when the enemy comes in my God's raising up a glorious standard around me. I've been building walls of protection around everything God has called me to build walls of protection around. But what about me when I'm left? Oh, that's the work of the Father. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he raises up a glorious standard around me. Hi, this is Pastor Andy Shaver, and I hope you've enjoyed this message. You know, the greatest joy of our ministry here is to see people encounter God in a relevant way and discover His plans and purposes for their lives. We exist to see their eternities altered through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You know, you can have present and eternal peace no matter what your present circumstances are. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that he has a heart for the hurting and the broken. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins to him, Jesus is faithful to hear us and forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to do that right now. Until next time, remember God loves you and so do we.